Lenny at Leonard42 on Twitter. And I'm editing all this out. So let's just start all over again. <laughs> Probably a good idea. Okay, okay, okay. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Killer Bees Podcast, Episode 4. This is Tommy Barbie, and I am joined by the delightful Keelan Blue. Go White Sox. That sounds so anticlimactic, but <laughs> I tell you, we are pumped up to have um, some 108 Thick in the house by the name of Lance Lynn. Thick. Exactly. Um that's probably the biggest news that's happened since the last time we we talked, but I am very, very excited about the deal. Um, the, you know, the White Sox have made now their, their second year in a row a trade with the Texas Rangers. Hopefully this trade goes much better than the trade they did last year. Um, last year they got Nomar Mazzara from the Rangers. So, <laughs> the, the, you know. Sorry, the, I laughed. That was the me. The bar is very low. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, and he's already departed. So Exactly. So we've discussed I'd this. I'd like but... <laughs> for this to go better. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, the White Sox traded Avery Weems, who is a uh, left handed pitcher, the famous Avery Weems. Uh, yes. He is a 23 year old that. Um, hadn't necessarily, he'd shown some flashes of, uh, brilliance, but hadn't really shown the consistency, but apparently went through a pretty intensive, uh, workout regimen change and seemed to be trending upwards. And then the White Sox also traded the one prospect I didn't want them to trade, which is Dane time, Dane Dunning. And I, you know, I'm going to miss him. But damn it, we got ourselves a hell of a starter that has put up numbers almost as good as Trevor Bauer over the last few years and probably better than him by a few metrics. You love to see it. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, isn't as problematic on Twitter to do. So. Yeah. No, I I think when I found out about I was up when the news was announced about Lance Lynn and at first I you know I saw like oh Dane Dunning and I was pretty upset but that very quickly changed because it's exciting like this is one that I'm like okay we can go with this I feel good about it um instead of some of the other things that have happened <laughs> I'm excited for Lance Lynn he seems pretty weird in a good way so that's gonna fit right in in this in this house yeah. And on top of that, he um, has played for La Russa, so he already has experience with him. That's good. Um, we'll probably get to that more a little bit later because uh, I'm, I'm noticing a trend on people that the White Sox are getting. Yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Uh <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> um, but he pitched for him um back when Lynn was with the Cardinals and you know probably about 20 pounds ago but he <laughs> no really, <laughs> he really had a good experience pitching for him and seemed to be excited to um you know pitch for him again based on the interview that he gave and I, I just 
I really think it's a good fit. I think he is an awesome veteran arm that is going to give you good innings, good outings, and hope. And, you know, he can pitch deep in games. And that's really what the White Sox need. Yeah. And there was talk of him joining uh, back before playoffs and that was exciting but obviously we got to know Dane Dunning a little bit more um so it was I think that kind of played into my skepticism and I I noticed a lot of other people were saying that too they were like why didn't we do this back then but obviously we there was not that much known about Dane Dunning and how he would perform under that kind of pressure at that time so yeah it it makes sense under those circumstances and, you know, there's always a chance that during the, the course of the trade deadline that they could have been asking for more at that point in time, too. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, we got ourselves a new boy. <laughs> we do. And speaking of, we have uh, another player coming back to the White Sox to tie <laughs> Nick Madrigal for the shortest player on the roster. <laughs> And that is um, Adam Eaton. Yay! Welcome back, Adam Eaton. <laughs> that was the appropriate response to that name. <laughs> you you really could have just like not said anything. That would have worked entirely thought well. Because thought that's, about it. That's how. <laughs> that's kind of how it felt. Um, yeah. I gotten quite a few twitter spats about this which kind of surprised me tell me more no i just like i i really i generally as a rule i don't care about money but Mm -hmm. it pissed me off that the white Sox let mazara go and then you're like okay like you look at the landscape of right fielders that are available it's like all right there's lots of good opportunities out here to improve none of that means signing adam eaton to (laughs) a seven million dollar contract which mind you is the same amount of money that mazara would would have been making more than likely um mazara is much younger mazara has far more upside and i don't know what adam eaton gives you given that he has been a pain in the ass in every clubhouse that he's ever been in. And yes, that includes the Washington Nationals. Mm -hmm. And he has been trending downward for the last three seasons. Like, it's not like I'm not even just looking at his 2020, which sure, I'll excuse it because 2020 was a weird year and a lot of players that normally play very well were off just based on everything that's going on. But you're talking about a guy that's had a huge problem with injuries and staying healthy, had the one solid year in 2019 with the nationals. But other than that, he's only been the same guy that showed flashes of being a above average player, Mm -hmm. but isn't worth the headache. And I just, I don't know. I know why now, because apparently there are certain individuals in the White Sox um, front office. My guess is Kenny Williams and Tony LaRusa that felt that the White Sox needed a bit of red ass on their roster. And 
when I think of Captain Redass, I think of Trevor <laughs> Bauer, but he's expensive. So then I also think of Adam Eaton because he's not as expensive, but damn it, they shouldn't have paid him $7 million. Yes, that is crazy. And I know we've talked about what what they might do, and that was nowhere on <laughs> speculation. No, you know, usually... And we weren't even when, talking money. and <laughs> We weren't even no, talking I about mean, the money. Usually when a person shits on a franchise, like, that means they're not coming back. Like, Ozzy Guillen. So I didn't really expect Adam Eaton to be welcomed back with open arms, but hey... I, I don't know. I did. Uh, I am looking forward, though, to Ozzy's continued thoughts on Adam Eaton. <laughs> be, that's going to make for great. I just game. can't wait for the postgame interview. I know. If that ever happens. And they're just like in the same room together. That's going to be very excellent. Yeah. And yeah, he's already, you know, Adam Eaton's already. I know he hung up on that uh, ESPN interview when they asked yes. him. <laughs> I thought it was going to go with Tony LaRusso managing younger guys. So I, you know, I have my own opinions, but it will be same entertaining. Brand. Yeah. Same, same brand. Yeah. Yeah. It'll be interesting to hear some story. I'm sure there will be some stories from the clubhouse. And, yeah. yeah. And it'll be, I don't know. It's really interesting to see like all of these guys that are coming in and how that's going to go with the existing team. Um, and how they're going to play well with each other or not. And I don't mean to derail our conversation off of this, but I, I know you and I both talked the other day about um, Dallas Keuchel's quotes mm -hmm. about leading the team. I forgot what the exact quote was, but he said in an interview something about how the team didn't have a winning mindset until right. he was there to show them. And this was just social media, but like Tim Anderson um, left some gave comments some, on it. Gave him some <laughs> shit about it. And, yeah. you know, it was it was good natured ribbing, but it was to me it was one of those jokes that had more of a sting than a just playing kind of joke. <laughs> I agree. Like, somebody doesn't talk about being a leader, and then yeah. have somebody who supposedly they're referring to as somebody that needs to be led, and have mm -hmm. that person publicly, you know, do laughing emojis so even yeah. if yeah even if it's like good natured it's still like ah see <laughs> and i think that's super interesting like that alone a little bit of truth yeah yeah exactly um so yeah that that existing stuff and then bringing in all of this new all these new attitudes and stories and faces i'm excited in a sick way <laughs> <laughs> Um, and it, this may seem like a minor note, but it is a picture that I do want to just talk about because, um, every year the White Sox always make at least one or two very minor moves that usually ends up being inconsequential, but occasionally it turns into something interesting. Mm -hmm. Um, and that move this year so far at least was uh the white Sox picked up a pitcher in the rule five draft in the minor league portion um from the san diego padres and his name is uh martin carrasco um i haven't seen any accent marks anywhere so if i have butchered your name i apologize um but he has largely pitched as a reliever and hasn't 
made it very far. So he's a little older for the level that he's pitched at. And, you know, the pandemic last year didn't help. But in the times that he's pitched, he's pitched incredibly well. Um, He has a, um, you know, his strikeouts per nine is 14 to 15, (laughs) which is just like video game numbers. Yeah, that's crazy. He also doesn't walk hitters. So in 2019, pitching in rookie and um, single A ball, he had 48 strikeouts in six walks in 29 innings. <laughs> so wow. he clearly has really good stuff, mm-hmm. um, but I have no idea how that's going to translate to anything. But he is pitching in the Mexican Pacific League right now, um, pitching winter ball. And he was only being used as a reliever, but he's actually started um, he started one game and he might be starting more and he's still kind of keeping that same level of proficiency. Mm-hmm. So if the long term plan for the White Sox was to see, hey, maybe we can get a starter out of this, that would be really interesting, yeah. um, especially since this would be the time as a 21 year old he would be kind of making his way to double A potentially um, around this time. And with the pandemic and things being weird right now, you may see him on the spring training roster just to get some eyes on him. And it could make for a very interesting experience. Cool. Yeah, I just looked up because I did not see this and I saw like very little about it, actually. So that's super interesting. Yeah, I mean, I... I like to keep an eye on the rule five draft because it's the, it's the perfect time to get guys like this that are either a little bit older um, than they should be for the level that they're at, or they've just been flat out squeezed out by their organization for one reason or another, Mm -hmm. but it ends up working really well for the other team. And um, you know, for a team like the white Sox where Yes, they have a lot of youth, but they also need some lightning, <laughs> lightning in a bottle kind of guys like this to yeah. kind of work out for them in order to have a successful year. <laughs> that is exciting. And I hope that is the case that we do see him. Yeah. In free training. So, um, you know, somebody to keep an eye on. Um, I have no idea what's going to happen with free agency. So, you know, that might be the most interesting thing that happens for some time. (laughs) It's it's been very quiet. There have been a lot of rumors out there. Um, Yeah, like I was up that one night when the Lance Lynn news got announced and I was like, what? Um, But then since then, it's been dead. And it's kind of like, all right, what's going to happen? There's been like the Liam Hendricks rumors going about and it's kind of like, Okay, I don't. Uh, no. Which the Liam Hendricks thing is just weird to me, um, and the it's part of the reason why. And I hate to bring this up again because it's just going to make me mad, but it's true. <laughs> this is part of the reason why I get pissed off about the Adam Eaton move because, like, you can't be okay spending eight million dollars on a guy that at best is going to be average. Mm-hmm. But you won't sign a top tier relief pitcher because you don't want to give him a four year contract. Yeah. No, because I. Uh... 
<laughs> if he's if he's good enough for three years, you have to be okay with eating that last year. And you could yeah. even front load that contract to make it work. There's absolutely no reason to draw. And, and this is what the White Sox have always done. So it's not, you know, this isn't conjecture on my part. This is a rule that the White Sox have always had is that they don't sign these long-term contracts mm-hmm. because they don't like being locked down on pitchers because they get hurt. And yeah. that's fine. That's valid. But you have to look at the risk assessment and say, hey, with the relief pitcher, the chances are that he's not going to be hurt. He just won't be very good. Yeah. And that can be okay because you usually by then, if your window is now, if he sucks in three years, that's when you start moving him over to being a swing man or a middle reliever that comes in on your bigger leads. And it's not like the White Sox haven't had those guys recently looking at you, Steve Ciszek. <laughs> so I don't see Shots what the big deal is. <laughs> but it's true. Like it, it's like they've the White Sox have always had shitty old relievers. Like that's yeah. not anything new. And they've always figured out a way to either make it work or just be like, hey, this guy really sucks. Let's just eat the six million dollars that's left on his contract so that we don't have to see him again. And that's fine. But you can't say, oh, that's too expensive. We're not going to sign you. Because yeah. I guarantee you another team will. Yeah. Well, and it looks like that is where we're heading yeah, <laughs> at this point absolutely. with yeah. Liam Hendricks. Yeah. And I mean, obviously he was just named well, like first team MLB. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. And instead we're, <laughs> we're spending the money on Adam Eaton. So, you know, good, it's good stuff. And I mean, I, I get it from the perspective of his usage rate, like his, he was used more than pretty much any other reliever. And you know, you might argue that Colomay would be the safer bet, but mm-hmm. it's clear the White Sox have no intention in bringing back either one. So, yeah. I mean, I, I would think you'd want one of those guys versus just everybody else that's in the bullpen and hope that they continue to be good because yeah. they're, they're mostly young. You have Bummer, you have a few other guys, but you have a lot of younger talent that you still don't know if they're going to give you the level of consistency that you need for a playoff team. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen lately a lot more lamenting about uh, Colome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People saying, bring him back. And I mean, I get it. Like, yeah. if, no, I felt the same way. I've been like, oh, what are we doing? I was like yeah. a little bit of panic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it has just been, you know, we went from, the hot stove to the ice cold freezer and yes. i i don't see <laughs> i don't see a thawing period any any point time soon um, no no yeah it just seems to go on longer and we're just hanging out <laughs> like literally yeah. every day i'm like all right what's happening to be honest with you that i mean the lance lynn stuff it caught me off guard um but now you know, it seemed like there were going to be a few announcements, but it's been so quiet for so long. I mean, the timing only surprised me because I didn't think that. I I really thought the Rangers would need more to trade Lance Lynn. Mm-hmm. So I was surprised. Yeah. That that's all it took. Yeah, um, absolutely. And why do you 
do you have thoughts on why that is? I, I think it's age and contract. So just the fact that there's only another year left, so there isn't like long-term control and he's older, um, you know, and I, I don't know what the Rangers thoughts are on their return, but it could also be that they're incredibly high on both of those pitchers. And they're like, okay, we're getting a two for one deal on a guy that we don't want back because we're kind of rebuilding right now. Yeah. Um, but I just, I was surprised because I kind of think there hasn't been much movement, especially when it comes to, um, the, you know, pitchers that are rumored to be on the trade block. Mm -hmm. I think everybody's waiting for Bauer to go because once Bauer is gone, you now have this whole second tier of free agent pitching um, that, that's available. Mm -hmm. And any team that was interested but might have missed out, they're going to say, shit, I don't want to spend the money on that. Maybe I can pick up a, a Snell instead yeah. and, and get something worthwhile or pick up, you know, Gray or, or any of these other guys that are out there. Maybe I can put a package together for that because I can't get the premier guy. Yeah, well, and let's hope that happens soon. <laughs> because I don't, I don't think it will. Oh, I really don't. I think it's going to be I don't think it's going to be as bad as um, was it the Machado and Harper year when it was like damn near spring training before they signed? Oh, no, <laughs> I, I don't think it'll be that bad, but I don't think there will be much movement until January. Oh, well, I'm very over Trevor Bowers. <laughs> I don't know if I want to call it his courting or people courting him I'm very over it. I'm like, okay, done. Yeah. <laughs> Just stop. <laughs> I don't blame you for that. <laughs> I know we have people that listen that will probably disagree and I'm sorry, but yeah. Oh, I mean, I, you know, I've already made it known. It's like, I, I don't care for his shtick. Um, you know, I, what I've always said is that I think at best, it is problematic. At worst, it's toxic and distracting. And yeah. when, and this applies to a lot of like the really just bad and dumb ideas that I've seen out on Twitter and why I will continue to not really be a fan of the Tony LaRusa hiring. When you are working in a public setting, the best type of risk management that you can do is ensuring the sanctity of your brand. Yeah. And the more that you mess with that, the more that you bring in people that don't represent the best in you or the organization mm -hmm. that starts to fall apart. Yeah, no, I agree. And that is uh, definitely, he has his brand for sure. Um, but how that plays with a bet being, <laughs> being, being best. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, but it's just like, you know, even I, I, I wouldn't go beyond it, but it's like, if you, for whatever reason, you don't have a problem with the fact that he seems to be particularly aggressive towards other women on Twitter. 
he this is still the same guy that cut his finger on a drone and couldn't pitch in the key playoff <laughs> run for the Cleveland for the Cleveland team, which I'm now going to refer to as the Cleveland Boss Baseball Club because they can't <laughs> the name. Um, <laughs> and he couldn't pitch for them. And it was like in the playoffs, you got this Yahoo screwing around with the drone and like that's that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, no, like I, you're I agree with so you. so self-involved that you can't put your own stuff aside. Right. That's that's not good for the, the team. I agree. And I think this whole display and it's like I'm all for athletes getting their money. Mm-hmm. But the way it's done, I'm like. What are you going to do when you're on a team and you are making a shit ton of money? And like, how are you going to act then? Like, right. this isn't just your show. No. Um, yeah. So I agree completely. And I know, like, obviously I'm a woman. So there are things he says and I'm like, that's not cool from my standpoint. But overall, I'm like, just from like a team standpoint, he does not seem like a team player. I could be wrong. No, he no. very much seems self-interested. And also for me, when I listen to him talk, just some of the things he says from like a decision-making standpoint. Don't make sense. Right. And yeah. it's like, if you want anybody to make good decisions, you want it to be your pitcher. Yeah. And some of the stuff he says, I'm like, ugh. And then also going back to the point you made alone about some of these pitchers and spending money on them and they could be done in three years, you know? I think all of that together is like, nah, it's not worth it. No, it's not. And, you know, I make my comments not to minimize at all anything that he has said or done on Twitter. Because no. like I said, it's really, it's absolutely abhorrent. But if you want to be one of those, oh, he's just messing around. He's just the fun. Like, okay, if you if you want to be willfully ignorant of his behavior on Twitter, look at stuff like that that he's actually done in the clubhouse and when you put it all together you have the kind of person that you probably don't want on a team that is trying to win yeah absolutely no i agree um and i feel the same way like i can set aside i know why i don't like him but there's also a side where you like rationalize things and it's like well do i not like him for x reason or Mm -hmm. And it's it ends up being a combination with him. I mean, you can say the same things about a lot of great people in sports. Um, you know, even thinking about like Michael Jordan, I feel like that's the most obvious example. He is clearly just dominant, but mm-hmm. also like that doesn't mean that he did. There weren't toxic things. So oh yeah, yeah. And you know, you have to think about the era too, where the Bulls as they existed at that point in time could never exist in society today. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Dennis Rotman would (laughs) never exist as a human being (laughs) in this age of social media. Like, I mean, there, there's a reason why my man was drunk going to North Korea because like you could see the toll of that attention seeking celebrity yeah. in a 24/7 you know news cycle really took on him and if you tried to do that during the course of a competitive basketball season he would have fallen apart like there's no way he would have made it but 
you could get away with it back then because they had some sense of privacy and they were above not above the law but they had their own special entrances to get in and out of situations that they didn't want to be in or couldn't shouldn't be in yeah absolutely and i think even just watching like the last dance even though there were stories we've all heard over time like seeing it Mm -hmm. in that way it was still really eye-opening and it's like oh it puts a different even though it's still like a magical time it still puts like that light on it it makes it like oh like we didn't have that backstage look and it is like yeah so i think you know same kind of thing with him it's like all other things aside my personal feelings with him aside and things he says aside is it worth it to bring in like that personality right and and we don't we don't know i mean it's not sure bet. nothing is like a sure bet so yeah i would have preferred him over adam eaton i'll say that (laughs) I honestly would too. Like, if you're going to be a shitty person, at least be good. Like, yeah. yeah. No, I agree. And if we're spending, if we're spending money, you know, like that—that that is the thing. It's like, great. We're just, like, what are we doing? I, you know, it's like even in terms of him being a red ass, it's like nobody wants a red ass that can't hit. Like, right. Yeah. No. Just, no, I'm still just like, and obviously, you know, you've. You have, I'm only like a recent fan, but even I was like, I don't understand this. Like, I have only read about this guy. I don't know a lot about him. Like, what did we, what did we do and why? (laughs) I mean, all you need to know about Adam Eaton is that he said that a underage child that was the son of another player on the team was the leader of the clubhouse. Okay, I have that's seen why this. He should have been allowed in every <laughs> single, you know, game in the dugout and in the locker room and all this other weird shit that I'm just like, dude, you you should not be allowed to talk publicly. Like it, if those are legitimately your thoughts or if you just get nervous in front of the camera, I you should never be in a room that has lights, cameras, or microphones ever. I saw that though, and I've seen like since then he tried to play it off like he was kidding. Is that the case? No. He, <laughs> this is this is how he it like he says oh, dumb shit all the time. I'm really looking forward to uh the twenty twenty one season. <laughs> We're gonna get sound bites. <laughs> yeah, I well no. What will happen is that if he tries that shit with Tony LaRusso, Tony LaRusso will throw his ass in the dumpster and you'll just see his little legs sticking out. <laughs> in the dugout and in, in the garbage can because tony LaRusso had enough of his shit like that's what'll happen his little legs how tall okay so if you look up both him and nick madrigal it shows that they're five eight and and those are basketball heights yeah i know for real. a fact i'm taller than both of them that means i'm taller than both of them too yeah <laughs> uh, they're they're probably closer to five six Let's go get him. <laughs> Just kidding. Not Nick. Magical seems to have a little red ass in him, too. I agree with you there. Hopefully it's not. <laughs> annoyed me for the same reasons where it's just like, yeah, you, you're playing too hard. Yeah. You're, doesn't, not, you're not fast. Yeah. He's not saying anything goofy. He's not saying anything goofy. That's true. But just, you know. You're like, give like, him time. But yeah. Well, no, but I mean, it's like you you can't run around the base 
past being like, I'm running hard, therefore I'm always going to be safe. Yeah. Doing things and trying harder doesn't always make you better. Right. Sometimes it just makes you look bad. Yeah. And he did. He did own up to that. Well, he did. Yeah. So that was good. But still, yeah, no, I agree. And I'm trying to figure out, am I just doing this? Because I know they're like, I'm thinking of a like Napoleon complex thing or. No, I mean, it was just, it was more body language for me. Like, it's not like he said anything. So, I mean, I, I don't want to introduce things that weren't necessarily there, but both the games that I was covering and a few plays where he didn't necessarily do all that well i mean he just like got so angry that it's mm-hmm. like you know you're not like fucking mark mcguire you're not going to hit it out <laughs> every time you're up to the bat like yeah. it just just calm down like <laughs> okay okay you got so that vibe it, it was just like it was that level of intensity where it's kind of that step beyond competitive where it's like that obsessiveness yeah yeah okay i got you and it it can lead to good things but it can also lead to bad places yeah i feel like with that nature there's always kind of like you're walking on a line Mm -hmm. um especially if your ego you can't i mean you have to check it so yeah yeah. i mean same thing with trevor bauer some people like him because of his ego Mm -hmm. it's like but it's a fine line. Yeah. So I can see that that stuff gets out of control real fast, but that's interesting. That'll be interesting to see how Nick Madrigal does as over, time progresses. Yeah. Over 162 game season too. Yeah. Yeah. Like because that, I that's knew the, a whole different animal. Yeah. When he ran the bases that one time I was like, dude, what are you like that was kind of, how have you not learned your lesson? Stop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. And it was, you know, you have, I don't know how many people pick up on this to me. That's like a red flag. And I know people were pissed, but like, mm-hmm. that is definitely like people make bad decisions, but that's also attached to like an ego. Yeah, absolutely. And you got to keep it in check. I guess it would be hard if I was making like millions of dollars a year. I also would have a bigger ego, but. <laughs> no, it's fine to have an ego, but like I said, you have to take things in stride. Um, yeah. And, you know, I hate using this as an example because he was a Sox prospect not that long ago that should have panned out, but he didn't. But, you know, one of the main reasons that has come up why Gordon Beckham wasn't that good is because he got into his own head. Yeah. Um, You know, because when he first got called up, he could do no wrong. He was, you know, putting the, the, you know, the right part of the bat on every pitch that he got. He didn't have to think about anything. It all just came to him naturally. And Mm -hmm. that's largely how he had been since he was a kid, just, you know, this natural gifted hitter. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until pitchers started adjusting to him and he started struggling and having a hard time that you just saw a guy that it wasn't like he had the most refined swing in the world. I mean, we're not talking about a Luis Robert type of talent, but Mm -hmm. he played well, but his swing started getting longer and his head started falling every time he grounded out. And he was muttering to himself every single time. 
And it just, you know, his entire career from that point on, you know, being a failed first round draft pick and prospect to bouncing around between the Tigers and seemingly every other AL Central team, like Mm. he's just always been a defense first guy because that's literally the only thing he could do without Mm -hmm. thinking. And it's it's a real thing, you know. I mean, it, it's a it's a whole grind going through as long of a season as baseball players play, and you have to be able to take things in stride and and think yeah. about the next thing. Yeah, and I think you know, you and I, you and I both played sports only. I mean, in high school, and I think <laughs> that alone, like you're not even at the level they are, and it's like hard enough. So I can't even imagine what the pressure the the pressure of like the livelihood your own livelihood fans absolutely coaches and i think people forget that a lot when you know we're watching and they're like what the hell Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean i could see how that would uh that would crumple people um i brought this up early on uh twitter today but i listened to another podcast uh 99 visible which is pretty popular i think you and i've talked about it before but they did yes. mm-hmm. yeah yeah they did a um they talked about sign stealing and they interviewed uh mike bolsinger um about when he was pitching with the astros during mm-hmm. when they were stealing signs and they interviewed him and it was really interesting to talk about just mentally how that like his last game before he got demoted to the minor minor leagues, how it just like crushed him. It like crushed his self-esteem. Yeah. And then after this, he gets demoted. Um, So yeah, I mean, you're, you're playing at that level where you have expectations on you, especially if they're paying you. Um, And you know, there's like not a lot of room to break down. Right. And I feel like who knows, we can only speculate, but like no more Mazzara. I feel like Mm -hmm. seem to happen with him like it seems so common it it happens a lot and i mean that's that's where you start talking about your change of scenery guys where sometimes it doesn't work out for one team and you trade them to another team where they have a player where it just doesn't seem to be working out for them and you hope that just by nature of being in a new city both players play better yeah like a fresh start exactly yeah yeah yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. Um, there was, I don't know if you have anything else to bring up with that, but I know I do want to talk about um, what you brought up the other day about um, we are, James McCann has left the White Sox. He's now going to the Mets, which we can talk yes. about more. Um, but you brought up. Let's go Mets. <laughs> <laughs> Taking everybody. <laughs> But I'm also so happy for them all. And I'm like, look at you go. Why can't hey, I? Happen? I'm happy for them. You know, the yeah. Mets, Mets fans are a long suffering fan base. I am always happy when they figure out a way to be competitive. I, yeah. And then they're crushing it right now. And I followed uh, their owner on Twitter, as you had recommended. And he seems Absolutely. awesome. He does. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I'm a little jealous right now. <laughs> it's nice having a good owner, isn't it? Yeah. It makes a difference. <laughs> I'm a, yeah, I'm having a, I can see why there's a bit of White Sox fans crossover with Mets. They're like, they're, it's like the backup team or vice versa. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, disappointed there, so often. <laughs> there's a very interesting overlap between, you know, 
White Sox fandom and, and Mets fandom, I've always really had, uh, I've always liked the Mets. Um, I even own Mets gear. So, I mean, it's just, I have no idea why, but there's just a understanding between our respective fan bases, I think. That's awesome. I like that. It's nice knowing I can uh, cheer for another team. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Mets, Mets and Brewers. So they're the two two teams that, you know, you're pretty much always universally fine with. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. I mean, Padres used to be the same, but I think it's a little harder now because we, you know, you can't look at the Padres without thinking about <laughs> Tatis Jr. and just being like, oh, fuck, why did we trade you? Yeah. Well. James Shitty Shields. You can just uh, go down the list of things, I think, that have yeah. been mistakes. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty big one, though. I mean, yeah. like even at the time, um, and I will absolutely die on this hill because I did say this. I have a rule, and everyone may think that this is a stupid rule, but I do have a rule that I will always overvalue prospects of that are sons of former major leaguers. Seems logical. And it has always been a thing for me. So like I've gotten just like irrationally happy if I see a name being like, oh, that's such and such person's son. And I was the same way with Tatis Jr. I was like, oh my gosh, the White Sox got, you know, I, I remember Tatis. I enjoyed watching him play. I wonder how he's going to do. And when they traded him for, for James Shields, I was just like, Shields isn't that good because he gave, he's always given up a lot of home runs. So, you know, just him going from San Diego, which is a very pitcher friendly ballpark to this, you know, Comiskey, which is not a pitcher friendly ballpark. Um, not great. <laughs> yeah. And then you're giving up essentially this raw talent. I was like, I don't I don't see the point of it. And, you know, I did, right. I did I see him being this MVP caliber player? No, but I will always say, like, never trade guys that have that kind of raw talent because you never know what can happen with them. Yeah. And the, I mean, raw. And then, yeah, like you said, he's had the benefit of baseball jeans. Yeah. life. Yeah, yeah. Jeans, knowledge, like insider knowledge you don't get from just anybody yeah exactly so no i agree with you completely um and it doesn't always pan out like that but at the same yeah. time there is a certain benefit of being a, a professional's kid or any level i mean even like college you know absolutely like yeah any level because you have you have a jump start in a way mm -hmm. yeah but yeah. Um, Sorry, not to derail your point. No, it was no, just no, no. Like, like, it was, it was no. something that just kind of popped into my head and I had it's to share. Point. No, it's a good point. And, but yeah, I mean, this, we, the other day you tweeted something about, um, you know, people are acting like <laughs> Lucas Giolito won't be able to uh, pitch anymore because James. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, didn't you know that, you know, when Giolito threw the no-hitter, it was really James McCann that was <laughs> going out onto the mound, throwing the ball, and then catching it himself. Yeah, I, I saw it. It was all McCann, which is... <laughs> <laughs> and and no, I'm I... not saying this to be an asshole, because I do think McCann is a great 
you know, yeah. he had a great relationship with the pitching staff and he calls a great game. But if, if McCann is the sole reason for Giolito's <laughs> success, then Giolito needs to go. <laughs> yeah. we have, uh, bigger problems. <laughs> if we have way bigger issues and a losing a backup catcher like that should not be the the issue and you know i think it's even more insane to say that given that the white Sox have a new pitching coach that actually knows how to coach pitchers yeah well so it's just like that much more disingenuous to me to say that yeah and I think it, the way you said, I actually, I think I laughed aloud when I read it because that is kind of, I, I don't know if we saw like the same things out there, but I did see a few people be like, what about Lucas Giolito's no hitter? And it was like, mm-hmm. well, you still could have done that. You know, and <laughs> when I saw that you wrote that, I was just like, thank you. Like, yeah. thank you. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it does suck to lose James McCann. He was like hit his stride. But also, thank you for, like, bringing everybody back down to Earth. <laughs> because well, and, it's very dramatic. But also, they have Yasmani Grandal. Yeah, and he's a- And like, I don't know why. I do know why. And I'm not going to go down that path. But it bothers me that he gets such little respect from the White Sox own fan base. He does. When you are literally talking about one of the five best catchers in baseball right now. Yeah, he does get a little, I mean, it's almost like people kind of forgot about him during yeah. this whole, whole thing. And, and it's like, yeah, McCann had an awesome half season and he has done incredibly well filling in the roles that he's filled in for. And I'm sure he will do pretty decently for the Mets. He'll never live up to that contract, but he will mm-hmm. do pretty yeah. decently. And that's all fine and good. And it's good. You know, I'm glad for McCann, too, because he basically resurrected his career here. Yeah. I remember when the White Sox got him from Detroit. I was like, why the hell did they sign this guy? He can't hit. So, I mean, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that no, was his reputation. Yeah. No, and that was one, um, you know, my I've talked about this on the other podcast with Brett, but um, my brother's a big Detroit Tigers fan. So I knew of James McCann from the Tigers. Um, so, yeah, I'd had like I came in as a White Sox fan, not having really any expectations. And I was like, well, look at this boy. <laughs> no, and that's that's why I, you know, I knew McCann called a really good game and I was excited for him for from that standpoint. But mm-hmm. as I never saw him emerging the way that he did because he just he could not hit a curveball to save his life. It was just like, mm-hmm. all right, just throw him off speed pitches and he'll strike out. I'm like, all right, well, that that doesn't really work well. But, you know, I think it the McCann situation is what every fan owner and GM should really dream of um, in terms of a situation working out where you get a guy to go far above and beyond the means of his contract. That doesn't mm-hmm. mean that you have to sign him to a follow-up agreement because contracts are always based on previous performance, not future projections. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. So, and with that, 
we will break and get some water and pay some bills. And <laughs> when we come back, we will talk about more wondrous things in baseball. Again, do some Michael McDonald. Um, yes. He came from somewhere <laughs> he always does like the chest thing. He's like, <laughs> we should make a Michael McDonald cover band. Absolutely. <laughs> and we both dress as Michael McDonald. <laughs> yeah, obviously. <laughs> the Michael McDonald's. That's the only way to do it. I would do this. I really would do it. I, feel like, I would too. I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel like this has been the year of the resurgence of Steely Dan. It has been. Okay. No, Good. all all um I th- I think 70s bands in general, like you know, Fleetwood Mac too. Yeah. That was like that dog face dude. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. What is going on? It's because we're all stuck at home, dying slowly. <laughs> but when I'm dying, there's nothing I want to listen to more than Steely Dan. <laughs> <laughs> this is the night of the expanding. <laughs> Please play that at your funeral. In fact, if you die before me, I'll make sure that I show up at your funeral. Thank and if you. somebody is playing that, I'll push play. You, you need to play the saxophone, folks. So it's for me too. <laughs> done that's my goal for the rest of the year i'm gonna learn it i'm gonna learn saxophone specifically so i can learn that for your funeral uh and on that note we are back we're talking about all good things of 70s music and its resurgence and fitness because so both Keelan and I enjoy doing Michael McDonald impersonations when we're not on this podcast. And on this podcast. And, and Keelan likes to do it on the podcast. I have no shame. I don't either. I just you know, have a half second filter. <laughs> I have. <laughs> no, but you bring up a good point. Like, um, Yacht Rock has had its resurgence and um, 70s music has had its resurgence. And I think I, I do think it is because of the pandemic, because people are spending more time at home, more time connecting with, um, you know, family members from afar, feeling more nostalgic. And there is a tendency to go back. And I think that's why. You have bands like Fleetwood Mac trending and Steely Dan and, you know, so many others. Yeah. And then, too, I think people have let their guard down a little, like, aren't having, there isn't the pressure to, like, I got to keep up with new things. And, yeah. like, yeah, like the comfort, nostalgia, like you said. And then in general, people are like, screw it. I don't, for me, I think listening to older stuff, like, this year I've really embraced my inner dad. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I've got a, uh, I've got a pair of Crocs now. Oh my gosh. That's true. What? I've got a pair of Crocs now. Do you wear socks with your Crocs? No, but 
I do just like wear them around and like shuffle out in the neighborhood. So <laughs> I'm sure I've, I've got a reputation. Oh, man. Croc dad. Amazing. Yeah. And no, it's even weird. Like even today, one of my friends was like, you know, you really favor your dad. And I was like, that's weird. But. <laughs> but you're I right. Accept. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I accept this compliment. I am my father. Yeah. It's a, it's a dad year. Just hanging out at home wearing well, weird shit. And I think too, to your point, I, I think the um the insular nature of this pandemic has really let a lot of people's guard down in terms of even what would normally be called guilty pleasures. Because I feel yeah. like there's been a much bigger embrace of pop music this year than there has been previously. Where <laughs> You know, a lot of people that I would never expect to talk about Taylor Swift are talking about Taylor Swift or, yes, um, you know, you see people talking about um, Bad Bunny and yes. him showing up on seemingly every top year end list, which still shocks me. And, you know, it's been a lot of Billie Eilish and a lot of Dua Lipa and a lot of these other artists that I think normally would be embraced with that kind of wink and a nod that um, people usually give to pop artists where it's like, oh, this is really good pop yeah. music. Like nobody ever just says like, this is an amazing album. It's just like, oh, this is really good for pop music. But now I think that everybody's kind of let their guard down. Like you said, like people are embracing just more diverse music now without feeling self-conscious about it. Yeah, no, I agree with you completely. And I know myself, I'm, <laughs> I used to be, I mean, I, you and I both, I feel like we're both like, we're music nerds. Mm -hmm. um, but I feel like I've definitely let my guard down for sure. In terms of that, um, the Spotify 2020 list came out and this was pre pandemic, but that Dua Lipa song was the second the don't start now that was second on my list and I was like normally I might be like a little embarrassed about this but I don't care like it's a great uh, song I, I love Lisa Dua Lipa yeah, no, I'm, awesome. fine. I'm fine with that she can sing the phone book and it would be interesting yeah and she's very creative and yeah. beautiful her videos are always really stunning mm -hmm. so yeah I was like this is way different than my other years um and I got really into um, embracing my embracing my roots, and I got into a lot of like older country this year. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So definitely a very weird year for me in terms of that. Just pop in old country. I'm like, what? Who am I now? <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it was. Um, you know, I know that we talked a little bit before about just like some of our favorite music this year, but it to me has been a really odd year in music because I feel like there have been particular moments and songs that have impacted pop culture in a way that I feel like has not happened in a really long time. But I feel like there haven't really been that many good albums either. <laughs> well, I wonder like, about that. Like, do you think that's because of streaming? Or I don't know if it's I don't know if it's because of streaming. I don't know if it's because uh, like I kind of thought it was more 
um, pandemic oriented because so much of albums now are reliant on touring. Yeah. Like you make your money on touring and merchandise. So I just kind of thought like anybody that had something in the works that it just kind of, if they could get away with shelving it, that's just what was happening. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, I was surprised that, and I like Taylor Swift, but I wouldn't say I'm like a huge fan of her or anything. I definitely know more than a few of her songs, but I was surprised to see her album come out. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And also, yeah, like you said, I was surprised to find out that there was quite a large contingent of Taylor Swift fans out there. And a a lot of them are dudes, which surprised me. Not not judging in any way, um, but I was surprised. Um, But yeah, I totally I was like, what? And then Paul, she moved her album date. So Paul McCartney could out his album. I was like, what is happening? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I. I enjoy her as a person for the most part. I still haven't, I've never gotten into an entire album of hers. Mm-hmm. Um, I always find her sound to be too similar to somebody else's that I prefer, if that makes sense, where it's just kind of like, who is you it? Know, who no, it, it depends on like, it depends on whatever sound she's trying to capture. Gotcha. So, like even with her most recent album, like I literally, because with every album that's a curiosity for me Mm -hmm. i will give it at least three to five plays if i can make it that far of just like listening through the whole thing and just Mm -hmm. put all judgments aside just put it on the background and sometimes it gets to a point where it's like i pick up on things that i'm like oh that's interesting oh all right that's kind of catchy but like with taylor swift more often than not even with when it sings that i enjoy i'm just kind of like oh, this sounds like X or, oh, this yeah. sounds like this. And I like, then I think about what that is. It's like listening to a cover song. Like no matter how good a cover is, more often than not, you just want to listen to the original version after the cover is over. Yes, I get that. And, and that's how I feel with Taylor Swift, where it's like this whole new album with it being kind of like, ethereal and moody and atmospheric i was like there's a song where she sings with the dude from the national and i'm like this sounds like a national song yeah why why not just have the national yeah no i know yeah that makes sense totally fine but it's just like i i think for me as somebody that likes to often look for the root of things or interests or kind of like oh you know when you mix this sound together and you mix this sound together you get the sound of this band and there are bands that can get away with it like your Led Zeppelins of the world and then there are other bands that can't get away with it and they are you know made fun of for the that very same thing and I think it just depends on how much you're able to twist your influences. And for me, Taylor Swift's never been very good at doing that. Yeah. Um, I mean, whenever she, I actually, so I do not like a lot of like pop country, but I mm-hmm. think my favorite Tara Swift, Tara, Taylor Swift, I haven't been drinking wine. I, I <laughs> Her twin sister. Tara. Tara. Yeah. Tara. <laughs> Come on out here, Tara. 
<laughs> Sing me a tune. I didn't even kind of say it in a hair. <laughs> I haven't been drinking. Everything's fine. Uh, nothing's wrong. I think my favorite Taylor Swift era was probably from her red album and back. Because then after that, she gets way too poppy, which is fine. But I like little country Taylor Swift. Yeah. And, you know, I I think that makes sense because I I guess in some ways I probably I that's probably true for me, too. And I think it's largely in part because it. Might have felt the most genuine, you know, yeah, Um, because you know, she didn't really know any better at that point in time. She was just trying to figure things out um, before she tried, you know, before the Nashville machine almost ate her alive. Yeah. Well, she's, she's had quite a bit of scrutiny. Yeah. Absolutely. I couldn't do it. No, not at all. Not at all. I'd be like, bye. <laughs> Dave Chappelle, whatever the mm-hmm. white girl version of Dave Chappelleing is. <sighs> I don't know what that is. <laughs> I, I don't know either. I'm going to <laughs> like you, that. you have to yeah, go to Bali or something and do yoga or something. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to go on a yoga mission. I'm going to open a Lululemon studio. <laughs> Think about my life choices. I'm eating all plant-based foods and sunning my yoni. <laughs> <laughs> You can edit that or not. No, I'm keeping that. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> so all that being said, do you have any um, songs or albums that you want to give a shout out to that you know, came out this year or had particular meaning to you for 2020? So, yes, um, there are two in particular. One, mm-hmm. I'm just going to name two artists because... I could go down like a rabbit hole of songs and albums, but um, the first one is Charlie Crockett, who you may have seen me say in the past, but he is, eh, some people would call him country, I guess, but mm-hmm. I think he's classified as blues and Americana. Yes. And he is, I, he is a, I guess he's black. I don't know if he is or not. He's got. I was going like, to say, for those of you playing at home, he looks like um, Steph Curry. Yeah, he if does. He decided to go for a country western look. Yeah, he really does. Um, <laughs> and he, I think he is like a descendant of Davy Crockett. Um, oh, I so thought you were going to say a descendant of Steph Curry. <laughs> <laughs> I may be a little drunk. I'm not that drunk, though. <laughs> he, he descends from the Steph Curry tribe of oh, three-pointers. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> if I said that, then I'd be like, I got to go by. I can't talk anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, he does look like Steph Curry. Um, and he's a pretty cool guy. All of his music is really good. Um I hope that in the way I like, I feel selfish about him because I'm like, I want great success for him, but I also don't want his sound to change because it sounds like, like old Americana stuff, like how mm-hmm. and he's, he like dresses like an old country dude. Anyway, I love him. And then I have no idea how to say her name. So I'm 
incredibly sorry if I butcher it. And I think, Tommy, I've shared her with you too. I don't know if it's Fauci or Fushi. I don't know how to say her name, like her pop name. It's F-O-U-S-H-E-E. And the last E has like a little tilde mark on it. Yes. Yes. Sorry if I didn't say it Yes. She's great. And I think what happened with her is she made music on TikTok mm-hmm. and people kept like using her music and not crediting her. So she made this awesome, awesome song called Deep End. And yes. I love it. Like I only discovered it recently, but that's been like my favorite song of the year. I think she's awesome. So, yes, those are my two shout outs. I would oh, love to good. hear. Thank you. I would love to hear yours. Um, I have three as far as albums that came out that I, you know, have really found their way into like my consciousness for, for 2020. Um, two that came out earlier this year. Um, one is Fiona Apple's Fetch the Bolt Cutters. Um, I, Fiona Apple holds a very special place in my heart because I had always just like absolutely adored her and her music and Mm -hmm. the fact that she makes herself so willingly vulnerable on everything she does and Mm -hmm. has continued to just be this total badass that has just you know really done so much for music and you know i don't think it's the appreciation she deserves yeah um you know i it's it is everything that i think everybody always hopes the fiona apple album to be and Mm -hmm. it is interesting daring it's not the most radio friendly thing ever but it's just it's still catchy as all hell like i mean i find myself thinking or humming or you know considering certain aspects of songs and then just being like i need to hear that part again and and doing that over and over again um the other one is this band from Britain, and you know, I may screw up this name too. I believe they're called Salt. It's S-A-U-L-T. And they came out with two albums this year that were really interesting. Um just for how incredibly timely they were. Um, when you think about all of the um racial tension that was going on this year in particular when you think about all the strife that has just like really risen to the surface this year this band captured all of that and put it in music and um the album covers are like these really stark um hypnotic pieces one is a black fist um on a black background the other one is black hands um pressed together as if praying and it's like this really awesome mix of rhythm and blues and hip-hop and house music and it's just like this really interesting unapologetically black sound that you know i find fascinating that it didn't come from america it actually came from england but it has this feeling that they were still very much a part of everything that's been happening here. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, And the last one is an album that came out more recently. And this is a band that I have 
also like Fiona Apple have just loved since the beginning. Um, it's actually the Avalanche's new album <laughs> called We Will Always Love You. And I don't think there is a more 2020 album than that one. Um, they Avalanche's um, famously came out with an album 20 years ago called Since I Left You that literally used over 3,500 uh, samples that were direct from records. So like they used to use vinyl turntables to create their sound. Um, and they parse all this stuff together and make amazing music. And they've gently switched their sound and kind of what they've done, had more cameos, had more guest stars. And for this album, it is so focused on this existential dread where it's like we're we're all connected we're all you know interconnected with each other but at the same time we all feel so isolated and lonely at the same time yeah and um, it just like it to me it just reflects that perfectly yeah i while you've been talking i've been reading about their new album too and i saw that also on their album, they dedicated a song to Yes, they did. Yep. To David Berman, who's well, he was the lead singer of one of my favorite bands, the Silver Jews, but he committed suicide back over a year ago. Um, so that's cool. I did not know that. So I'm gonna have to definitely check that out. And that's actually one of my favorite songs on that album. Um, but they uh took a line from his song uh Darkness and Cold. Yeah. And basically repeated it um, for a good chunk of the song. Ah, man. Yeah, I'm definitely going to go check that out. Maybe yeah. I'll have a, have a cry. <laughs> <laughs> I might. <laughs> Maybe you might. No, you, you, you really might. Um, and the video is good, too. So I definitely oh, recommend man. checking it out. Um, cool. But yeah, it like I think it, it hasn't been a lot of albums for me. It's more been like you know, little moments, whether it's, you know, the, I think the most obvious thing that everybody's been kind of jumping on to is, you know, the WAP song. And <laughs> it's like, I, I think there have been moments like that where it's like this monumental thing that fits in a very specific pop culture context. Yeah. But as far as, long-standing albums or things that we're going to reference you know years and years from now there really hasn't been that much this year and, and i do think it has to do with the fact that a lot of people just seem to be listening to older stuff now you know and just kind of <laughs> re rediscovering old things rather than uh trying anything new just yet yeah uh yeah i i definitely feel that i noticed I hadn't really even paid attention to what had been going on as far as new music goes during the pandemic. I have a friend who made a, a playlist. It was called 2020 isn't all bad. And I listened to that and I was like, literally all of it. I was like, I have never heard any of this. And I used to pride myself on being like, really, I'm following stuff. And I know these mm -hmm. things. And I was like, I don't know any of this, except for I think he had one Fiona Apple song on there okay. that I was like, Yes, I know this, but everything else, <laughs> like, I don't know how I missed all of this, but it did because yeah, I'm not. I mean, other stuff or yeah. not. Listening. 
there have been a lot of really interesting artists that have popped up that have released like mixtapes or EPs or singles or things like that, but cohesive full length albums. No, <laughs> just, yeah. this just would not the year for it. Um, but you know, speaking of revisiting our past, you're going to love this segue. Oh, no. um, there is one final thing that I did want to touch on, and that is um, Major League Baseball doing something right for once. Uh, finally oh, yeah. decided to recognize um, the Negro Leagues as being professional baseball. And on top of that, they are going to reevaluate all statistics and update them accordingly based on those Negro League numbers. And yeah. that means that a whole lot of people that are currently regarded as being the best at certain things probably won't be in the near future. When I say a whole lot of people, I mainly mean white people. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how it goes. <laughs> and good. <laughs> like, good i'm very happy that's awesome are you pumped and do you think i, I am i just i am. had no indication that this was even happening so i was shocked yeah that's it's good i mean like obviously uh way overdue and kind of crazy that it's like oh it's fun yeah like i don't know how do you feel like you feel shocked but how else do you feel no, I mean, you know, it's just, I think, well, there's two things. One is that as happy as I am that it it's going to happen, mm -hmm. it, it, you have to remember that there were, there was such poor stat keeping of Negro League baseball that there's a very good chance it won't have the impact that it should. Mm -hmm. So a perfect example would be, um, you know, the, the main thing that I saw pop up on Twitter is, Hey, are, are we finally going to recognize Josh Gibson as being the home run King? Mm -hmm. Because he is, you know, he was a prolific, uh, Negro league player that was rumored to have hit somewhere in the vicinity of 900 home runs. Oh my God. <laughs> but as far as what has actually been found on statistics probably won't be anywhere near that yeah and you know so it's i think it's helpful in some ways where you have players like oscar charleston or even you know satchel page where their you know most of their history has been wiped away and mm -hmm. you know with satchel page the the thing for him is that at least he was able to pitch long enough that people finally saw how good he was, even as a 45 year old, you know? <laughs> um, but for everyone else, it at least gives them an opportunity to live on and, you know, in the history books through their stats and get the recognition that they deserve. But it's still kind of that, um, you know, you, you feel happy, about the recognition but you feel sad that it took this long for that to happen and yeah. you also feel sad that there's still generations of people that are going to have no idea who the hell any of these players were because we don't celebrate 
the Negro Leagues the way that we celebrate other things. I mean, even, you know, there hasn't really been a league of their own for Negro Leagues, you know? Yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> so, I, I mean, there, there's just not that level of recognition in um, the mainstream of consciousness. And, and that's the part that, that still makes me sad. Yeah. Um, I was curious to ask you about this too. I know um, I saw some people out there saying like, like, no, we need to stop calling it the Negro Leagues. Um, we need to just like drop the name. Now it's MLB. No. Uh, okay. <laughs> that's what I was going to ask you about. I was no. Like, uh. no, that sounds like the same people that argue that the NAACP shouldn't be called the NAACP. Yeah. You know. You can't say colored. It's like you know, you're, you're you're missing the point of what yeah. sense. And I think too, there was a part of a like, oh well, this is like attaching like a a negative connotation to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just like ugh, I don't think and and most of the people that I've seen saying this are white. Um, yeah. So I was like, I don't think that's really your decision to make. <laughs> well, no, and that turns into erasure too. So I mean, yeah. you can't just be like, oh, well, it, you know, it always was integrated. <laughs> it's like, no, <laughs> there's, there's a very distinct reason why it was called what it was called. Yeah, why it had to have its own separate, <laughs> complete different thing. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, I I think the other thing for me is that I do hope that this. Um, because I I think it should happen. It probably won't, but I think it should happen for players that come from other countries too. So mm-hmm. you know, thinking about Ichiro, and I would consider him like the probably one of the best hitters of all time. And you know, if you look at his stats from Japan and his stats in Major League Baseball, and if you combine those numbers, like you would have somebody that was at like a Pete Rose level of, of its. And I, I just think that for a game that is so global and mm. embraced by so many people, all, you know, with all different backgrounds it is kind of a shame to me that we still have such a narrow lens when we think about baseball legends and and what it takes. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, a very, very local example of that is Minnie Minoso. Um, Yeah. I still, for the life of me, cannot understand why that man um, hasn't gotten into the Hall of Fame. And I hope that, maybe with these additional stats will be reconsidered because that's always been the argument against it. But when you're talking about, you know, the influence of black Cubans on, on the game, it, it starts with them. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, hopefully, like you said, this will be a big step forward. Um, I do think when, you know, this is happening. I haven't seen anybody say anything too crazy, but also, you know, when people actually are like, this is how it is. Sometimes there's pushback, but people won't say anything until somebody like, you know, it's like, Hey, remember how, you know, this person, like, (laughs) I can't count the home runs because like people don't like Barry Bond. So that won't work. But, (laughs) (laughs) But for anybody else, like if there was Babe Ruth. I mean, 
Yeah, I mean, like, or Ty Cobb or like somebody yeah. else, like if they get hit off Ted the pedestal for any reason. Yeah, that's a good one. Like Ted Williams, you know, batting 400 and all the things that we talked about with him. Like if that gets overshadowed by the, you know, insane talent that came from the Negro Leagues, like that would probably then give people some angst. Yeah. And that's when people start saying, oh, I don't know how I feel about this. I don't like it when my privilege is questioned. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What about Pete Rose? <laughs> On if he should get in the Hall of Fame? No, if uh, if his any of his records are. Oh, no. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, for one, I do think he should be in the Hall of Fame. I, I yeah. know that nobody else agrees with that, but it's just, it's the same argument where like you clearly don't have to be a good person to be in the hall of fame. Yeah, clearly. And there are steroid users that have been, or will be in the hall of fame. So why not? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, yeah, it kind of comes down to like who got caught doing mm-hmm. what, even though we all knew, uh, I hate to keep going back to that sign, that sign stealing podcast I listened to, but it was the same thing. It was like everybody was doing it. Yeah. But oh. who got caught? But even in, even in terms of steroids, like I, I think the argument for steroids has always been very interesting because I always think about how rampant um, amphetamine use was in, in baseball in the six, you know, 70s and 80s in particular. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, you're going to the extreme where uh, I've, you've heard the story of like, you would have your quote, leaded coffee in, in the clubhouse, which means it was laced. And <laughs> that's how guys were able to get through the season. And it's like, Hell yeah. like I, I, I would say that that is <laughs> absolutely a performance enhancing drug at that yeah. point. If you are actively taking drugs just so you can make it through the season because you know that your, you know, your body or your brain would have broken down otherwise. Yeah. I mean, I think now in some, like in the Olympics and stuff, they even, I don't know about other sports for, I'm thinking about track specifically. Oh no, they totally do. Yeah. Yeah. Caffeine is considered like a performance enhancing drug. So yeah, I can't. (laughs) I, I just think that, you know, when you're talking about that being accepted or you talk about famous spitballers being accepted or famous sign stealers being accepted. I, I don't know why this is where we're drawing the line. Yeah, no, I agree. Because it was created in a lab, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't know either. Maybe that is it because uh, you're changing your kind of your makeup, your natural ability. I don't know. I really don't know. It's weird. But it wasn't enforced. Like, I get it now oh, when yeah, it's actually it enforced. Like, but, you know, back then it's like, oh, hey, Barry Bonds grew another person. Like, <laughs> that seems weird. Yeah. <laughs> like, hey, he's like constantly upset. That seems like I mean, I just I don't think that there was any question what was happening. And 
I think the press was willfully ignorant of the situation, but it's like you can't then retroactively get upset at the players for doing something that was widely known to be happening and encouraged by baseball, especially when Bud Selig's in the Hall of Fame. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with you completely. Like, what is what is the line? I have no idea. And yeah. I say all this to also say that, you know, I don't want Sammy Sosa in the Hall of Fame because I don't (laughs) think he contributed nearly enough to deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. And I will die on that hill. That's fair. Um, He he was not a complete hitter. Like, it was just like that he did one thing and he did it well. And that was it. Yeah, I'm not going to fight you on that. I I don't (laughs) I don't really care about Sammy Sosa. <laughs> so I feel uh, bad for him because I think he got a raw deal from the Cubs, but it's just, yeah. like, you know, you compare him to other sluggers of that era that, you know, your Barry Bonds or even your Manny Ramirez's, where it's like you had complete hitters that also hit a ton of home runs. Yeah. I'm. And those are the guys that I think should be in the hall. Yeah, I think with Sammy Sosa, for me at this point, I'm more fascinated about what's going on with him because <laughs> I don't know. That, that's a whole different podcast. <laughs> yeah. I I know, like... Not nearly enough time to get into the, uh, <laughs> whatever's happening there. What's going on there? Yeah. All right. Well, we'll on that, that note, time. we'll save that for next time. That's our sneak preview for episode five if we don't get canceled. Um, <laughs> we might after this one. We dropped a lot of names. <laughs> I am drunk. And yeah. Good times for all. <laughs> well, on that note, it has been delightful talking with you as always. As well. Um, and thank you all for hanging out with us for this hour as we talked about a lot of different things. Um, sure I did. don't know how this is going to work with our next episode with the holidays, but for those of you that um, celebrate, Merry Christmas, Happy Kwanzaa. Um, Most happy. Festivus, I think Hanukkah has it did it Hanukkah's in today. Ending, yeah. So by the time you hear this, Hanukkah will be over. We hope you had a wonderful Hanukkah. Uh, enjoy the new year, and we'll see you soon. Hell yeah! Hell yeah! Bye. Bye. <laughs>